up for these gentlemen. Hey, we're going, to, uh, we're going to do a song that we did last week. If you are here last week, we talked about small groups and this idea of finding your people. And we wanted to do it again and just have a, just like kind of act like we're here together. Because us up in the band, we feel like that these are our people, right? This, this is our group. We can go to each other with the things that matter to us, with how we struggle, with things we're celebrating. So this is us. We, our hope ultimately is that you guys find your people here at PCC. Uh, along the way. So we're going to sing a song. You can clap along. We're going to just sit casually right here. We're going to do it. You ready? You ready? Let's do it. Here we go. <laughs> and you are, you're allowed to sing it as well. You learn it. You got to find your people The ones that make you feel all right The kind you want to stay up with all night You got to find your people the ones that make you feel whole They won't leave your side when you lose control The ones that don't let you lose your soul You gotta find your people The ones that get the joke Understand what you're saying for a word is spoke You gotta find your people Put the needle in the groove Cause when you're together You got nothing to prove When you're together You got nothing to lose In a world full of strangers You don't know who to trust All you see is danger Trying to find what you lost You can't go it alone Everybody needs help guys can i hang out with y'all yeah sure all right y'all are my Bye. people yeah but i'm also going to bring somebody else up here guys can y'all give a hand for nam please yes yes 
If you guys don't know who Nan is, then I feel bad for you because she's awesome. But also, you may just not have a chance to meet her yet, but she is in charge of our groups around here. She coordinates our groups here at the Powhatan campus, so it's worth knowing her because we believe what that song says, that we can't go at it alone, that everybody needs help, and that you have to find your people, and then you can find yourself. Here at PCC, the place where we hope to help you find your people is in our groups. So that's why Nan is here with me, so that y'all can know who she is, because she can help you best with that. But in just two weeks, we are officially launching our fall season of groups, because despite how busy we all are, or the apprehension that we might feel about meeting new people, the truth is, we are not meant to do life alone. And science actually confirms that consistent, meaningful connection with others has a powerful impact on our well-being. And in groups, we won't just grow closer together personally, we can also do that spiritually too. So you can go to our website to tell us that you're interested in, get, in getting connected with a group. You can check out a list of your options there and get signed up. You can also do that in the atrium as well after the service where you will find Nan and some other people who can help you. But for now, we're gonna continue to worship together. So I'll turn it back over to you, my friend. Let's do it. All right, we sat down long enough. It's time to stand together and sing another song we introduced last week. We're gonna start with a little scripture here. Let's go. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, Here, let's go praise sing. I'll praise in the valley, I'll praise on the mountain, yeah, I'll praise when I'm sure, and I'll praise when I'm doubting, come on, I'll praise when I'm numbered, and praise when surrounded. Cause you're fading 
cause you're true. I'll praise cause there's nobody greater. Come on, let's sing it. I'll praise cause you're sovereign. Praise cause you reign. I'll praise cause you rose and defeated the grave. I'll praise cause you're faithful. And praise cause you're true. Praise cause there's nobody greater.
God is holy, and that's why we gather together to praise His name. Now, I'm glad that you're joining us to do that today. Welcome to PCC. I'm Mark Tapscott, your online campus pastor. Now, one of the things that we're always trying to do around here is to help you get connected. And the best way to do that is through the Connect Card. Now, when you fill out a Connect Card, we won't contact you unless you ask us to do so. But filling out a Connect Card helps us to make sure that we have your correct information in our database. And it also gives you a place where you can leave comments for us or ask a question or request some help. Now, you can find the Connect Card on our website or just click on the link in the chat. Now, what chat, you might be asking? Well, that's a good question. When you accessed our service today, you had an opportunity to sign in. Now, when you do this, it allows you to see the chat box on your screen. And if you like, you can say hello to our hosts and others who are watching along with you. But even if you don't say anything at all, you can see all the helpful links and the information that we post in the chat window. So go ahead and sign in now if you like. It's not too late. Just click on the sign in button on your screen and you're in. Now earlier, uh, you heard about finding your people and we encourage everyone to find their people by joining a small group. Now these groups aren't just for folks that attend our physical campuses, it's for folks that attend online as well. We have several groups that meet by Zoom online each week and you can check out those groups and get more information on them on our website or just click on the link in the chat. Now don't wait until later, go ahead and find your people now. If you're feeling a little hesitant about joining a group, don't worry, that's, that's fairly normal. Most people are a little nervous about joining a group of folks they may not know very well. But I can say that many who feel this way in the beginning are the ones who come back to me later and tell me how awesome their group has become. So take that leap of faith, join a group. It may just be the perfect next step in your journey right now. Last Sunday, we got to celebrate one of our most exciting days of the year, our PCC annual all-campus baptism. Now, people from all of our communities went public with their faith by declaring that Jesus is the Lord of their lives. And many of you were there to celebrate with them. Now, it's not an exaggeration to say that everything we do here is to help lead people to this moment where they embrace the relationship with Jesus Christ for themselves. And they make a public commitment to allow that relationship to shape the rest of their lives. And when you give here, you're part of helping them get there too. You're making it possible for us to create fun and engaging experiences for our kids, to help our students lay the foundation of making their faith their own, and to put together services like the one you're watching right now. You also help create midweek nights of worship and groups like we talked about earlier, and so much more. Now there are a lot of things that you can give to, but when you give to God through PCC, you are investing in the lives of people, and that investment will impact their eternity. So I just want to say thank you for coming along with us. Your gifts mean that more and more people will be reached now and in the future. Now, if you'd like to give today, you can do so safely and securely on our website, or you can just click on the link in the chat. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful to see so many people uh, this past Sunday go public with their faith and declare that you are Lord of their life. And we celebrate with them uh, as they made that decision to follow you uh, for the rest of their lives. And God, we thank you for the folks that are giving right now uh, to make that possible, to allow us to uh, have programs and, and things that we can invest in people to help them discover who you are and how much you love them. So thank you for those gifts. We ask you to bless them uh, to your glory. And God, just to keep encouraging us and helping us to uh, find ways to connect people to you. And I pray, Lord, that many people will sign up for a small group and get connected with a group of folks that they can do life with. So I just pray that you start working in their hearts now and help them to have the courage to hit that button and sign up for a group. 
And uh, we just thank you for what you're going to do in their lives uh, as they do so. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let's head back to our service that's already in progress. Capable of being a part of if we'll take your hand and let you lead us with the gifts that you've given us. God, if we just trust that when we give back to you, that more and more will come and more blessings will pour out then our communities and our hearts and us as individuals and all of us together will all be better for it. God, I want to take a moment together in this room to just acknowledge that you are so good and to also acknowledge that we are so grateful that you let us be a part of what you're doing because you don't have to and it's a gift that we get to be a part of it. So God, for all those reasons, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
walked in with something today that we were carrying probably over a wide range of things maybe joy, maybe sorrow maybe somewhere in between but part of the reason we come just one part of the reason we come on Sundays is to be in the presence of God I mean God goes with us and before us and behind us but wherever we go he also said we're two or more gathered in my name I am also there. I don't know if you've looked around, but there's more than two of us. So know that you are in the presence of the Almighty God. And that doesn't invalidate or take away the things you maybe walked in with. But remember that He's with you, He walks beside you, and He helps you carry it all. So as we sing another song together, just going to remind ourselves of another basic truth. Not only is God with us, but he really, truly does love us. So let's sing it together now. I've got a friend. He's closer than a brother. There is no judgment. Oh, how he loves me. I've got a he is my strength. He is my portion. He's with me in the valley, with me in the fire, with me in the storm. Let all my life testify.
from city chaos to daily calm. Side by side, we live, laugh, journey in a world that forgets compassion, respect, unity. We were made for community, for life together. Learn to live as a compassionate community. Learn to live side by side. I had a conversation this week with someone who was trying to check out our church and she was asking a little bit about our church and, and trying to understand it. And I said, well, we're a multi-site church. When we, when we gather together on Sundays, we're, we're in different places, but at the same time, but we're in lots of locations. And, and it was really hard for her to wrap her mind around this. She said, well, yeah, but, but tell me about your church. I said, well, well, we're one church. It's like all the same church. Yes, but what about your church? And I don't know if she really, really ever completely grasped it. I know it's a concept that's not exactly normal. In case you don't know, we're not exactly normal around here. So let me just tell you a little bit about it, about the people that are gathered together right now. Let me welcome our friends and the family that we have at our Riverside campus in Fork Union. They meet in a building that used to be a hardware store and then it was a jeans factory and then it was just half the building and now it's the whole building because they just are crazy enough to think we might reach the entire counties of Fluvanna and Buckingham out there and they are on their way to do it. Let me tell you about our friends. Let me tell you about our friends in Farmville. In Farmville, which last week was a pond and I know you don't know what that means, but we had a pipe that burst and it was running for days till the building basically filled up. We swam our way in, we ripped up the floor and got out all the water and they somehow managed to ha still have church last Sunday because they're so innovative that not even a flood is gonna stop them from gathering together so that we can reach people in Farmville. Let me tell you about our friends in Aylet who are in this tiny little room but they don't even know it because they just keep packing and packing and packing more people in there because they're just crazy enough to think we might re reach that entire community with the truth about who Jesus is. Let me tell you about our Midlow campus which meets in our most population dense area. There are about 60,000 people within driving distance of our church who don't go to church there. And they're just crazy enough to think we might just reach every last one of them. Let me tell you about our folks right here in Powhatan who just keep sending resources to everyone everywhere in the whole state of Virginia because we're just crazy enough to think we might just reach every person in Virginia with the truth about who Jesus is. Let me tell you about the crazy people who are online right now who actually think this is their church even though they're in Maine and they're in Pennsylvania and they're in Florida and they're in Tanzania and Belize and Moldova and all over the world coming together with us right now because they're just crazy enough to think that Jesus might be the most compelling person anybody has ever met and that if we could get a hearing in front of everybody with Jesus, he'll be so irresistible, the whole world might become his follower. Oh yeah, I ain't done. So let me tell you about our friends in Nottoway who gather together every week on a Thursday night and this is the only church that they know, the only church they get to be a part of. And when I go in there, when we go in there, I look at them when I get to go and I say to them, we didn't come to bring you our church. This is your church. We are your family. And they just happen to believe it. And then let me tell you about our friends at VCCW, the Virginia Correctional Center for Women, where we recently launched a campus. And women there are saying, some of them are saying, we haven't had a visitor in, I haven't had a personally a visitor come see me in years. And you came. And you said, we were friends, and you said, 
we're family. And those women are giving their lives to Jesus. Some of them are meeting him for the very first time. And it's miraculous and amazing. And it makes me think of Jesus's words. One time he said to his followers, I was in prison and you came to visit me. And his followers said, when were you in prison and we came to see you? And he said, when you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. Hey, church, you're changing the world. That's not a platitude. It's not some exaggeration. You'll only get to experience the morsel of it on this side of heaven. But I promise you, you keep doing what we're doing. People's lives are changing and eternities are being altered. Way to go. I only failed one class in college. I failed organic chemistry. Now, I was a good student. I was not the smartest kid, uh, but I did have, and I do have still, excellent short-term memory. And what that meant was, and I know some of you parents with a kid in college right now, you are hoping they ain't watching, because I'm telling you, I'm about, you're about to make you really mad. So this is what I did. So, so this was my strategy in college. I, didn't even, I quit buying the books. I didn't even buy the books. I didn't read the assignments. I didn't do any of that stuff. I, here's what I did. My strategy, because I had excellent short-term memory, I never missed a class. I went to every class. I sat in the very front row. I took excellent detailed notes. And then I could study for any test based on the notes just from attending class, and I could get a B. And that was my goal, to get a B, which is the other reason for the email you're going to send me later. But just hold on to it. Really, I don't care. So I got... I graduated. So anyway, so anyway, I would, I would, here's what would happen. As the test would come, I would take my notes, I would jam the information in, and then I would sort of do a little short-term knowledge vomit on the exam. I would get my B, and when the test was over, I had this wire in my brain, a switch that I could flick, and I, and I would just sort of do a, a, a toilet flush with all that knowledge. And if you asked me to take the test the next day, I couldn't, I couldn't answer a single question. But that didn't matter. I already took the thing, and I got my B. But organic chemistry was different. And it wasn't different because of the class. You see, while I was taking organic chemistry, I met the most amazing girl ever. And all of a sudden, my excellent short-term memory of all things science got hijacked. It short-circuited by a mind filled with all things Susan Payne. I couldn't think. I couldn't study. I could barely breathe. I certainly couldn't pay attention. So when you're a college student and you know that the class is not going well, they have this thing called a withdrawal date. So it, you know, as the withdrawal date approach, you can withdraw. You still got to pay, but you don't get the bad grade. Like, you, like it doesn't count as anything. So as I got to the withdrawal date, I said, man, this is not going well. I withdrew so I could get myself together. I mean, I didn't know what was happening. And so then I, took, I withdrew from the class, I signed up for it the next semester, and, I, and because that's the kind of person I am, I just toughed it out to the end. I just said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tough this out. So I toughed it out to the end, and I got an F plus. A plus is very important, it's important to my ego, which is to say I failed my only class because of her. It was her fault. I take no responsibility. Her beauty was the culprit in this mess. Her grip on my emotion is to blame for all of it. Her overtaking of all things intelligent became my downfall. So I failed that class. 
but I still had options. So what I did back then, there weren't, everything wasn't digital. They actually had actual catalogs that you picked up you know, at the admin office. So I picked up this catalog, which was substantial. I went to a fairly big school and I sort of slammed that thing on the desk. I got out a notepad and a pen and I literally wrote down every degree. I started at page one. I wrote down every degree that I could get without taking organic chemistry. And I picked from the list. Business it was. Where I somehow, somehow managed to graduate with honors, even with that F plus back there in my history. Failure is a part of life for all of us. Maybe you never failed a class, and maybe you don't really want to admit this, maybe you don't even know it, but nobody gets through life without some failure. Now, from one perspective, we can see our failures as a growth agent, right? I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, I can look at the things that, that, I, have, that I would count as a failure, and I would say, well, that, I can learn from that. It made me wiser or stronger or more resilient, right? And it's all good. It's all good when my failure is on me. But what about when my failure is on you? What about when, I, when what I choose to do hurts not just my GPA, but your feelings, or costs you something tangible and valuable? And moving on from my organic chemistry debacle was easy because I got to stay in college, and frankly, I got the girl. So I won. I can look back on that and I can even see the failure and say, you know, from some perspective, it actually helped me. But what about when my failure hurts you? And make no mistake about it, that scenario, the one I just said, where I hurt you, that's a foregone conclusion. See, we've been talking about how to live side by side and to do it well. God intended for us, this church, even as multi-site as we are, he intended for us to be the trendsetters, the picture of what genuinely healthy community looks like. Well, in order to do that, we're going to need some tools, some mutually agreed upon apparatus. We're going to need some explicit components that will become our guiding principles for forming the foundation of this healthy community. And fortunately, God didn't leave us to invent this. He gave them to us. So last week, we said that if we're going to live side by side well, we're going to need to learn to love well, which I know sounds like just another Hallmark movie, but it really is a lot more than that. And we talked about that last week. And if you missed last week, I just, this is just one of those times I would really encourage you to go back and, and pick it up. You can watch it easily on our website or YouTube or wherever. But today, we need to talk about the remedy for our failure more specifically, the remedy for our mutually targeted failure. When I fail you, and when you fail me, and when we fail each other, which again, is not hypothetical. I assure you that if you do life around people, those same people, from time to time at least, are gonna let you down. And you're gonna let them down. It's just life. So instead of burying our heads in the sand, or burying our bitterness and anger to you know, just be piled up with all this hurt, or instead of keeping everybody at arm's length and just staying distant, God wants us all to choose something more healthy, something far more healthy. He wants us to choose to forgive. In the most famous prayer 
uh, that I, I, at least I would argue that's ever been uh, spoken. Sometimes we call this the Lord's Prayer. Jesus presumed that our side-by-side living would contain an ongoing component of forgiveness when he taught us this. He said, when you pray, ask God to forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This second part of the phrase is an assumption of, of a condition that already exists. Jesus assumes that we're forgiving other people, and on that basis, we're asking God to forgive us. See, throughout Jesus' ministry, he encountered lots of people who were guilty of all kinds of sins, people who were committing adultery and, and taking advantage of other people or had massive egos, thought they were better than everyone, they were lying, they were stealing, you name it. Jesus forgave them all. Even when he hung on the cross, he prayed that God would forgive the people who at that very moment were torturing and executing him. Forgiveness is at the heart of God because where there is no forgiveness, there is no community. There is no church. There's no family. There's no healthy living side by side. All that goes away. Forgiveness is the medicine that heals us and it's the glue that holds us together, that keeps us healthy through our failures. Do you see? But you might be thinking, well, I mean, come on, Jesus forgave all those people, but he didn't know all of them all that well. What if, what if Jesus had been betrayed by somebody that he was really close with, somebody he really knew, somebody who he loved and who said they loved him? I, I bet it wouldn't be so easy to forgive then. Reminds me of this quote I read this week from Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers. He said, forgiveness is a strange thing it can sometimes be easier to forgive our enemies than our friends. It can be hardest of all to forgive the people we love. I don't know if it was easy or hard for Jesus to forgive. He, he never talked about that. We just know that he did it often. In fact, one of Jesus' closest friends, arguably his best student, hurt Jesus in a stunning act of betrayal. And you might think I'm talking about Judas you know, the guy that we often label as the betrayer since he's the one that conspired with the Romans, sold Jesus out and got him arrested. But I'm not really talking about Judas. I'm talking about Peter. Peter was Jesus' most vocal follower. I mean, this is the guy that was filled with passion, had all this sort of raw zeal, had a ton of energy. And, and, and people could easily, could arguably say that, that Peter was Jesus' most uh, dedicated follower. It was Peter who got out of the boat and walked on water just because Jesus invited him to do it. It was Peter who made the declaration for the first time in front of everyone that Jesus was the son of the living God. It was Peter who cut off the ear of the Roman soldier who was trying to arrest Jesus. It's sort of a, an attempt at a prison break. Jesus wouldn't have it though. He, put the guy's ear back on because he's Jesus after all. But, he, but even Peter was not exempt from this absolute truth that even the most dedicated friends sometimes stumbles and we let each other down. We even let people down we care about from time to time. Jesus knew it would happen. And Jesus said it was going to happen and then it did then seizing him, so they're arresting Jesus. So the Roman soldiers are the they, the him is Jesus. The Roman soldiers seizing Jesus, led Jesus away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. 
And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw Peter seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. Now, you'll see in a minute, you can, they can see Jesus. So Jesus is being tortured. They can see him. So she points at Peter, and she says, this man was with him, was with Jesus. But Peter denied it. Woman, I, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them, one of the followers of Jesus. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with Jesus, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him when Jesus said, before the rooster crows today, you're going to disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly I wonder if from that moment forward if there was kind of an, in, an instinctive reaction every time Peter heard a rooster crow you know what it's like right we all have this wire inside of us that that registers all of the details that was that, that happened around us when the trauma took place you know what I mean the sight of the place where the car accident happened or the divorce lawyer's office where you signed the papers. It could be the sound of leaves or the splashing of water, the hospital where she died or a certain smell. It could be anything, anything that is the trigger that takes your mind back to a different place and a different time. I bet it was like that for Peter. I mean, Jesus predicted, told him that he was going to betray him by denying their friendship, by denying that Jesus was God, by denying that Peter even knew who Jesus was. And the marker for this would be the rooster's crow. By the time the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. It was a horrible thing to say. And Peter, with all his heart, he really believed that Jesus was wrong about it. And yet, it happened. Once, twice, then the third time, and that's when he heard it. That's when he heard the rooster crowing. I bet the sound of the rooster's crow haunted Peter from that day forward. I bet every time he heard one, it brought up in him that massive pile of guilt that he had let Jesus down at the precise moment when Jesus needed him most. The rooster's crow then would remind him of his biggest failure. He could see the look. Every time he heard the rooster's crow, he could see again that look on Jesus' face of sadness and disappointment. And it would make me, uh, Peter feel like he just wanted to find a rock, crawl under it, and just die. And you know how often Peter would hear the rooster's crow? Every day. No exceptions every day because chickens hens and roosters were all over the place in that day and time they were everywhere i used to have some hens i i know some of you have uh, chickens and we talk about it from time to time it was a hobby for me 
I had them for a long time. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, the hens that I had laid about 300 eggs a year, and I really loved having fresh eggs or something primitive about it for me to get up every morning and to go out there and, and get my own eggs. I don't really know what it was. Maybe I just like being outside, or maybe there was some secret envy inside of me where I just wanted to be a farmer. I don't really know what it was, but I, I really loved having them. And for me, for us and my family, it was very important that we drew this line. The hens were never pets. So my kids were little and they thought they were cute and they wanted to name them. Like they wanted them to be pets. And I, was, I put my foot down. We are not naming the chickens. They're not pets. They are, I would say to my kids, I would say this to my kids, the, the hens, these are egg producing factories. Think of them like machines that cluck and lay, of course. Eggs are why we have them. That's it. But kids can be persistent. So they just, no, dad, we got to name them. And they, they started to name them. And I realized this was getting out of hand. So I said, okay, okay, okay. We called a family meeting. You can name the hens. And yay. I have a list and I'm, you just have to pick from the list. Here's the list. You can name them anything you want, anything on this list. Fried, barbecue, rotisserie, nugget, grilled. We had hens, but we never had a rooster because I often leave my house really early in the morning. And so I'll walk out of my front door at 5 a.m. and I step outside in the pitch black darkness and hear the sound of a rooster crowing, today included, and every day, some neighbor in the distance has one and he crows every single morning. Now, you know, we live in a modern age, right? So as long as my windows are closed and my doors are shut, I really can't hear that rooster inside my house during that last hour of critical sleep that I need. But every day he's crowing because that's what roosters do. And in first century Palestine, they didn't have insulation and you know airtight houses and windows they could close and all that stuff. A rooster would be impossible to avoid, the sound of him. It was as common as for us hearing a car pass by or a cell phone ringing. And I've been to developing countries all over the world, including our three partners in Tanzania, Moldova, and Belize. And in every one of those places, the rooster rules the clock. The rooster begins crowing early morning, every day, before the sun is up, before your internal clock is ready to get up. So imagine what it would have been like for Peter to wake up every day to that sound, to have that conditioned response bringing up the anxiety of his life's biggest screw-up happened not every once in a while, but every single morning. Peter could no more escape the guilt of his failure than he could get away from the sound of a rooster's crow. It happened, that failure happened on the day that Jesus was being crucified. And then Jesus died, of course. And Peter's last memory of him is that look where their eyes connected just as the rooster crowed. In the moment when Jesus needed him most, Peter let him down, denied even knowing who he was. And now Jesus is gone. And every day the rooster crows and Peter would never forget because of it, his most epic life failure. But you might know Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the grave and one day, there's this period of the Bible where we're told all these uh, incidents of Jesus appearing, and one day he shows up to see his old friends, including Peter, and all the whole gang's there. 
And I wonder, we're not told this, but I can only imagine, just in his humanity, I'm sure Peter wanted to just avoid him. Like, really? He had let Jesus down more than anybody else. There's no way, he's got to be thinking, there's no way Jesus can forgive me for this kind of betrayal. I mean, this kind of failure. I mean, there's just no way. But they end up at this meal together, right? And, and it must have been a little bit awkward for, for Peter. He's sitting there at the table. Everybody knows about Peter's failure. I mean, Jesus knew it, of course, and, but everybody else knew it too, and Peter certainly knew it. So if you're Peter and you find yourself there, Jesus shows up. It's the first time you've seen him since that day. What do you say? And we don't know. I mean, I just like thinking about these things. I imagine, you know, Peter, he, he's got to run through his mind. Like, what am I going to say? Hey, Jesus, um, sorry about that whole denying you thing. I don't know what got into me. Or, uh, you know what, Jesus, the next time you tell me I'm going to, you know, disown somebody, I'm going to believe you. None of that must have sounded right because Peter just basically said nothing. But Jesus brings it up, sort of. So when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, in front of everybody now, Simon, son of John, and he, that was his name also. He called him Simon and Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. When the, uh, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. In case you're wondering, Jesus is not hard of hearing when he asks Peter the same question three times. He does it on purpose. Peter gets insulted, but Jesus is trying to recondition Peter's preconditioned reflex. See, Peter denies Jesus even knowing him three times. And Jesus recommissions him to ministry three times. And the best part of this story is in the verse that I didn't read to you, verse four, which tells us that this happened, this conversation right here happened very early in the morning. In other words, Jesus reinstates Peter while the roosters are still crowing. Looks him right in the eye, just like he did on that awful day of Peter's failure. And he essentially says, you thought I was through with you, but I forgive you and I restore you and I love you. And I'm, I'm even gonna use that failure to do great things through you. That's what forgiveness looks like. From that moment on, from that moment on, the rooster's crow no longer represented Peter's guilt. It now stood for God's grace and forgiveness. It was not the sound of horror anymore. Now it was the sound of healing. Jesus chose that particular place, that particular time, that particular audience, because he knew that Peter needed a reconditioning of his reflexes, and Jesus, as always, knew just how to do it. But this wasn't just about Peter. It was about the others, too. When Jesus forgave and restored Peter, those other disciples, they were sitting there. They were watching. They were listening. Jesus' forgiveness of Peter was supposed to be an example to be followed by the rest of his followers, followers like you and me. For us to live well, side by side. Forgiveness 
must be deployed regularly. Not casually. Not casually. Forgiveness is not the shrugging of our shoulders in the presence of our pain as if what you did doesn't matter. It does matter. But I love, I love how Mark Twain said it. He said, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. And the last analysis, living side by side in the real world is not the absence of offense. Wouldn't that be nice? Instead, it's forgiveness as a response to failure. That's how we live side by side well. Now, it helps, of course, if the offender is remorseful. So when someone is courageous enough to come to you and say, what you did hurt me, the, the healthy person's response is always, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. And, and this is important. It doesn't necessarily mean that I agree that, that what I did was wrong, but simply that I at least regret the pain that my action caused. So instead of being defensive and just volleying back, try to see the hurt, try to feel the pain that your friend is expressing. At the end of the day, forgiveness has a double benefit. It resets the whole relationship and it frees the one who got hurt. I think about Nelson Mandela who was unjustly imprisoned for 27 years under South African apartheid and when he was finally released, he said this. He said, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave behind, if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Living side by side requires forgiveness of our regular failure of each other. So, who do you need to forgive today? What offense do you need to release and just let it go? Because in the end, you can't hold on to it and be free from it at the same time. And when all of us, when all of us are lavish with forgiveness, even as we try to reduce our rate of failure, living side by side well will become our greatest achievement and it will be our greatest adventure
adopted as a kid. You always do us right when you were loved for what you did. And there's only room for fear if you throw them off the scent. So if you're holding on to hiding it again, let it To live side by side with others, we must learn to forgive. Just like he did for Peter, Jesus is waiting for us to forgive, to release the offense and just let it go. Now the song we just sang says this, sometimes letting go feels like dying, but before you know it, you're flying, resurrected to a life you've never known. Letting go and forgiving is hard, but it's the only way to a new life of freedom. So spend some time reflecting on what you might need to let go of. What are you angry about? What do you, who do you need to forgive for that offense? What dream have you not been able to realize? How do you need to forgive yourself? It's hard, really hard, but it's so worth it. Forgive yourself, forgive others, and take hold of a life that you've never known. Now, if you need some help or want to talk to someone, we are here for you. You can contact me by email at mark.tapscott at pccwire.net, or you can submit a connect card and we will be in touch. Have a great week. this love oh it's moving on my mountains 
is perfect love.